So here we are. We're, we're two weeks after Thanksgiving, about three weeks till Christmas. And if I had to pinpoint one spot on the calendar where I feel like Christmas music buzz is kind of at its peak, I think I'd pick right now, right? <laughs> How many of you guys were listening to Christmas music in your homes or in the car this week? Show of hands. Anybody? I know we were, absolutely. Um, well, there's one song that came out just over 30 years ago that's already become a modern classic. It was really popular at first. Um, initially, it was on a platinum album. And then in 2014, three-time Grammy award-winning group Pentatonics, that acapella group, they released a version of this song on an album called That's Christmas to Me. Now, that album received double platinum status. And this song became super popular after that. This song is the most played and the most popular song on that album, even more than the title track. Do you know what song I'm referring to? It's the song, I think we heard it, <laughs> Mary Did You Know. So the song poses numerous questions about whether or not Mary knew how spectacular and glorious and divine that baby in her womb would be. She's, the song goes, hey, did you know that one day he'd walk on water? Did you know that one day he'd save our sons and daughters? Did you know that when you kiss your little baby, you've kissed what? The face of God. That's right. So if this is your favorite Christmas song, I'm not here to pick on you this morning. I bring that up simply to say that here in today's passage, we're going to read that the answer to that question, Mary, did you know, is emphatically yes. <laughs> Mary knew. Maybe as a church, we can start a new hashtag, hashtag Mary be knowing. Dad joke for you. <laughs> um, so immediately, guys, at the beginning of the Christmas story, we are confronted with the miraculous. Donald McClendon, in his book, The Person of Christ, he, he puts it this way. He says, the virgin birth is posted on guard at the door of the mystery of Christmas, and none of us must think of hurrying past it. It stands on the threshold of the New Testament, blatantly supernatural, defying our rationalism, informing us that all that follows belongs to the supernatural as well. So if we find it offensive, there is no point in proceeding further. Theologians have called this event the Incarnation, where God the Son put on flesh in the person of Jesus and became like us in every way. This mysterious miracle lies at the very heart of Christianity. So it's impossible to consider Christianity without the miraculous. Any attempt to strip Christianity of its miraculous dimensions is to cut out the very heart of it. To use the language of the Apostles' Creed, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He was born of a human mother without the agency of a human father. This is a wonder of wonders. It's a mystery of mysteries. I cannot convey today's passage to you with natural reasoning. Th these are spiritual truths. They must be spiritually discerned. So the only way to come to this passage of Scripture, just like any other one, is on our knees. If you hear this and you believe it, whether it's for the first time or for the 10,000th time, this is entirely the work of God. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, okay, Ryan, I'll be honest with you. All this virgin birth stuff just sounds a little hard to believe. It sounds more like a fairy tale than something historical that I can really trust in. It's so irrational, right? And, and I can't understand it. And if I can't understand it, well, then I can't believe it either. And if that's you, I just want to say thank you for your honesty. Thanks for leaning in and engaging, having a little chat with me instead of just pulling back and tuning me out, which you could do. 
but would you mind if I asked you a question? Are you really sure that you only believe things you understand? Are you sure about that? A lot of us in this room uh, have experienced a birth before, whether as a parent or certainly as a human, right? Um, I just had birth, my wife gave birth to our first son five weeks ago. It was amazing, life-changing. And I feel like I heard this a thousand times before that day, but it came to life in a new way that day that, guys, birth is a miracle. I mean, wow, right? It is unbelievable. Have you ever considered this? A friend of mine who's a doctor shared this with me. It was mind-blowing. He said, think about this. A baby in the womb is breathing liquid, and then all of a sudden it comes out of the womb and it's breathing air. And my friend who's a doctor, he's like, yeah, man, honestly, no one's really sure how that works. It just kind of does. It's like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard, right? <laughs> so to my, to my skeptical friend in the room, if you believe that babies breathe air, then perhaps you do believe things that you don't quite understand. Perhaps all births are miraculous, not just this one. <laughs> And perhaps this story is actually worth considering. So I say all this by way of introduction as we come to our passage. Jesus hides truth from the wise and understanding, but he reveals truth to little children. So let's come to the passage, not childish, but childlike. Let's come humble and open and curious. Let, let's, we're going to walk through the story together. If you'd like an outline, it comes in two halves. I'll tell you what, I'll just give you the main point of each half right up here, up front, so you know what to walk away with. You ready? First part, this is verses 26 through 33, admire Jesus. Admire Jesus. Part number two, imitate Mary, verses 34 through 38. Admire Jesus, imitate Mary. So let's jump into verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So these verses set the scene for us. We encounter the people and the place of this story. It says that this is the sixth month, and by reading in context, you can skip up just a couple of verses to 24. You can see that Elizabeth's conception is the timestamp. There for five months and now for six months. So we're picking up on our story from last week. Elizabeth is now six months pregnant with the son John, and God, through the human author Luke, he, he wants us to see that that story and this story are profoundly intertwined. Not only are we working with the same timestamp, but we're also working with the same messenger. It's the angel Gabriel. Guys, notice this. This story is not of Gabriel's initiative or of his creative thinking. He wasn't up in the clouds one day strumming along a harp and had a good idea. No, read it. It says Gabriel was sent by God. All that we're about to read takes place at the initiative of God in his grace. That's explicit in this story. It's actually true of every story, both in the Bible and in life. God initiates his love to pursue us. And what we're going to see here is that God uses the unlikely. First, God uses a woman from the wrong place. So in the last story, we were in the religious capital of Jerusalem, and now we travel north, about 20 miles, a few days' journey by foot, to a small, forgotten town with a bad reputation named Nazareth. Nazareth is so obscure and so insignificant that it's not even mentioned one time in the Old Testament. Not once. <laughs> it's not mentioned in the historical writings of Josephus. It's not mentioned in the Mishnah or the Talmud. If you had Google Maps in the first century and you pulled out your phone, 
It'd be one of those places you have to pinch and pinch and pinch, and you're looking around, and you still can't really find this place. So not only does God use a woman from the wrong place, but he also used a woman from the wrong condition. Verse 27, read this. It says, twice Mary is described as a virgin before we even learn her name. And then once again in verse 34, so we don't forget, God, through the human author Luke, is emphasizing her untouched condition. You know how they say that the best birth control is abstinence? Well, Mary would have had absolutely a 0% chance of being pregnant. Zero. She would have been 12 to 15 years old at this time, and she was engaged, or more literally betrothed, to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Uh, This was the family line where God had promised a king. Now, being betrothed in this day, it's more than an engagement the way we would think of it in our day. To undo a betrothal, it would actually require a legal divorce. You couldn't just walk away from it. So they were united in the paperwork of marriage, but not in the bed of marriage. Not yet. That would wait until after the birth of Jesus and after the marriage ceremony. So Mary is a nobody from a nowhere town with no reason to be pregnant, with no life experience, and with no social standing. I wonder, how many of us in the room relate to Mary? On the scale of really important in society to not so important, where would you place yourself? And if it's pretty low on the scale, do you ever wonder that you're too insignificant for God? He's probably got busy doing other stuff, and he's probably just going to overlook you. If you're embarrassed by your zip code or by your education or by your family name, well, I have good news for you. God uses the unlikely. Let's keep reading. Verse 28. The angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, twice here we see the word favor. Verse 28, greetings, favored woman. Verse 30, for you have found favor with God. This is the Greek word charis, which also means being blessed or given grace. It's the same word in Ephesians 1.6 that tells us that all who trust in Jesus are blessed in the beloved. So Mary is special, but she is not sinless. Mary is the recipient of God's grace, not the giver of it. And what makes Mary amazing is simply that she is the object of God's amazing grace. So she is to be honored and imitated, but not to be idolized. We'll see this even more in the next few verses, but notice how the emphasis is not on the greatness of the mother, but on the greatness of the son. Verses 31 through 33. Guys, read these verses and admire Jesus. Read this. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be called great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. There is so much here. I mean, this is a gold mine of truth that deserves to be excavated for hours. I'd encourage you to do so. Look up Genesis 14, 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 110. For now, we'll just scratch the surface. And I'll tell you what struck out to me the most as I was studying this passage. It's the word and. Read this. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. 
it shows up five times in just these couple verses because God wants to drill in our minds down into our hearts that the greatness of the Son is unending. He could have kept going forever. Do not be bored of Jesus. Do not give him leftovers of your attention this Christmas season. Do not acknowledge him here and there. No, admire him with everything. Look at the promises here. You will conceive. That's a miracle. Give birth to a son. Well, that's a miracle too. And you will name him Jesus. So here in Luke, we just get the name. In Matthew's account, we get the description of that name where it says, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You've maybe heard the phrase, first impressions are everything. Well, what's the first impression of Jesus that the Bible puts forth? It's not that Jesus is a teacher who can help us get wiser or a role model who can help us get better. No, it's that he is a savior who will save us from our sins. But he's not a weak savior who can save us partially. No, look at verse 32. He will be great. And by his greatness, he will save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. And he will be called Son of the Most High. This is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew title El Elyon, which is a name exclusively given to the one true God in the Old Testament. The Son is not less than God. He is not somewhat God. He is not God-like. No, he is God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. So much so that continuing on, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and his kingdom will have no end. God the Son is both Savior and King. He wears not a crown of gold, but a crown of thorns. He reigns not with an iron fist, but with nail-scarred hands. His kingdom conquers, not with force, but with love. And his kingdom of love will have no end. It will be borderless and timeless. It will have no geographic limitations or chronological limitations. He will reign over every village in Burma and over every block in Brooklyn. He reigned all the past, he reigns right now, and he will reign forever. Admire Jesus. Admire him. He deserves all of our admiration and nothing less. Before we move on to this next section, imitate Mary, I'd like to pause here, just linger for a moment. It's December 5th. We're five days into the month. Here's a word of encouragement I'd love to offer. Be intentional to admire Jesus these next 20 days. Okay, church? Don't let Christmas sneak up on you. All of the Christian life is about admiring Jesus, but God has blessed us with Advent to dedicate a specific season to that very specific purpose of admiring Jesus. I don't know about you, but sometimes my spiritual engine just needs to get primed a little bit. <laughs> I think a lot of us come into this time of year needing a little spiritual priming more than we might realize. So how can we be intentional to admire Jesus these next 20 days? I got two ideas for you here. Very practical. I appreciate when people give me practical ideas. Here are two. First one, tonight at 8 o'clock p.m., the Gospel Coalition is putting on an online Advent concert. Uh, my wife and I tuned in last year. It was really sweet and encouraging and just edifying. It set my eyes on Jesus. So, I mean, you turn it in online. You can put it on your TV. You can invite some city group friends over, your neighbors over. 
make some hot chocolate if you want, but it's about an hour. Uh, sing the songs. Hear the scriptures. Tonight at 8 o'clock, there's an opportunity to, hey, admire Jesus. My second encouragement, very practically, do some type of an Advent devotional, something. Uh, my wife and I have done this most of the time for the last few years. Um, it's been really helpful for us. If you're thinking it's too late, hey, it's already December 5th. I can't get started. No, you just get started tonight. Skip the first four days. It's no big deal. <laughs> if you're looking for a recommendation, Google Good News of Great Joy PDF. Good News of Great Joy PDF. It's from John Piper. We've done it. It's very helpful, encouraging. I promise you it will prime you to set your eyes on Jesus and admire him. That's part one, admire Jesus. Now let's look at the second half of the narrative, imitate Mary. This is verses 34 through 38. So right after Gabriel drops that gold mine on her, here's what she says in response. Mary asked the angel, how can this be? since I have not had sexual relations with a man. Now, at first, this may sound like she's doubting or being skeptical, but careful contextual reading will show us otherwise. It's nothing fancy, guys. Just read the whole chapter carefully, and you will find that her question is not an evidence of unbelief, but an expression of faith. She believed the promise. She just didn't know how it was going to play out. And we know this because, look at verse 20, she's not rebuked for unbelief like Zechariah was when he was made mute. And then look at verse 45, Elizabeth says of Mary, blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So if you're here and you have questions, if you're here and the story of a virgin birth just sounds kind of outlandish, be encouraged by this. God welcomes questions. He does. The presence of faith does not mean the absence of questions. I have questions sometimes. I'm not above you. Having faith simply means that you humble yourself, that you don't look to yourself for answers, and that you take your questions to God. So Mary asks how, and then here's the response she gets. Verse 35, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now Mary, as a young Jewish girl, would have heard echoes of the Old Testament here. God, the Holy Spirit, who is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Son, we see all three persons of the Trinity here in this verse, by the way. Well, throughout the Old Testament, God the Spirit would come upon God's people and empower them in spectacular ways. And then he would leave. So there'd be an outpouring of the Spirit but there wouldn't be an indwelling of the Spirit. That would come later at Pentecost. So here, Gabriel doesn't say, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, period, because then Mary would have thought, presumably, oh, he would come and then he would leave. Oh, is that how this is going to happen? No, there's actually more to his message. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. If you've read the second book of the Bible, Exodus, do you remember at the very end of it, when Israel finishes building the tabernacle, and then it says this great cloud comes, and it covers it, and the glory of the Lord fills it. Well, the words filled and covered there, and the word overshadow here, have the same meaning. So in that moment in Exodus, the tabernacle, at its center in the Holy of Holies, was overshadowed by the power of the Most High. And now... The glory of God that once filled a place in the tabernacle has now filled a person in Jesus. Mary's womb had become a living holy of holies. 
Which is why Jesus would not come only as the promised one, but that he would also come as the pure one. Look at verse 35. The holy one to be born to you will be called the Son of God. Because he was conceived by the Spirit, he would not be like us who are conceived in sin and inherit a sinful nature. No, Jesus would be holy and set apart and without sin from conception all the way to the cross. Jesus knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5. Jesus did no sin, 1 Peter 2. Jesus had no sin, 1 John 3. The gospel is this. God is holy. And although he loves us and made us to be in relationship with him, we rejected him and turned away from him and sinned, all of us. And because of our sin, God in his righteousness cannot accept us as we are, and God in his justice must punish us. But God in his love doesn't end the story there. God, being rich in mercy, sent this baby to save us from our sins. He lived a life without sin, he died on a cross for our sins, and then he rose from the grave conquering sin. Because Christ is fully God and fully man, he is the perfect Savior. He needed to be God to supply to us the righteousness that we could not offer, and he needed to be man to supply to God the sacrifice that we owe. So he became the only mediator between God and man, the God-man Jesus Christ. He is the only way for us to come to God. Try to save yourself and you will fail. Try to fix your own addictions or heal your own brokenness or improve yourself through morality or spirituality or religious practice, and it won't work. You can't save yourself. It is impossible. It is no more possible than a 12-year-old virgin getting pregnant by herself. But look at verse 37. Nothing will be impossible with God. God can save you. He did this in my life when I was 18 years old, and it changed my life forever. Turn away from your self-reliance and from your sin and trust in Christ. He is the perfect Savior. This brings us to our last verse, guys, 38. Jesus deserves our admiration. Mary deserves our imitation. Let's imitate her. We've seen it already, but we're really going to see that here in verse 38. She says, See, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. What an amazing response, right? Just a courageous young girl. But notice this. She's not placing any confidence in herself. How does she describe herself? I'm just the Lord's servant. She's placing her confidence in God's word. She says, may it happen to me as you have said. She relies on God's word and responds in faith. Can you say these words? If they came from your lips, would they be sincere? Or would you just kind of be faking it? If that's not you right now, if you can't say verse 38 sincerely, well, I have some good news for you. You can't change your heart. You don't have the power to. But you can give your heart to God and let him change you. You can read verse 38 and think, man, how could I ever say that? Like, really? How could I read verse 38 and say it like I mean it? How would that be possible? And your question would actually sound a lot like Mary's question in verse 34. And you will get a very similar response to the response Mary got in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. 
You can't change your heart, but you can give your heart to God and allow him to change you by his spirit. Notice the order here, always, of deep gospel change. Admiring, imitating. Admiring comes first, and then imitating. Rely on God's word, respond in faith. Well, the relying comes first before the responding. That's what makes this so radically different than sin management or behavior modification or a five-step action plan. No, if you're here and you're limping spiritually, if you're here and you need some priming, if you're here and you can't really mean verse 38 from your heart, God gives grace to the humble. He does. He opposes the proud. So don't try to fix yourself. Don't try to save yourself. Admire Jesus Rely on his word and let God change you. In closing, guys, I would just ask, how would this change our Christmas season? I mean, how would it change our mental attentions or evening routines or dinner tables or our neighborhoods? What would it look like if we relied on God's word and responded in faith? How would that play out in the next 20 days? Because guys, that's what we really need. And that's what the world really needs, right? It's not more decorations, more parties, more presents. We need admiration. We need imitation. So may we admire Jesus. May we imitate Mary. May we rely on God's word and respond in faith. Will you pray with me, church? Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.